There's a story of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of my heroes of the faith. He did ministry together with a man by the name of Theodore Culler, the Reverend Theodore Culler. And after a long, hard day of serious discussion, these two men went for, out into the country for a time and holiday. And they roamed the fields in high spirits like boys let loose from school, as one recorder puts it chatting and laughing and free from care. And Dr. Culler had just told a story at which Spurgeon laughed loudly and uproariously. And then he suddenly turned to Dr. Culler and said, Theodore, let's kneel down and thank God for laughter. And there on the green carpet of grass, under the trees, two of the world's greatest men, so the recorder says, Thanks to the dear Lord for the bright and the joyous gift of laughter. <laughs> Isn't that a great story? Right there, thanking God, right on the spot, right on the green grass. Though Thanksgiving is this week, of course. Um, this is going to be a strange Thanksgiving, right? Um, probably not what you were expecting and not what you were hoping for. Uh, plans are being canceled all over the place. Uh, That time with family and friends that you were expecting for many people uh, will be highly limiting. Uh, You may have heard even the most recent order that you can't actually cross state lines uh, except for a few purposes. Going to church, by the way, is one of them. So if you're from New Hampshire, you are legally allowed to be here. And we're not sure if this is going to even extend into Christmas. We'll have to wait and see. And I know, friends, I know some of you guys may be having some people over. Um, Just be careful. Protect the vulnerable. We're all struggling with COVID fatigue. We all feel like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And maybe you're even struggling saying, I don't know what I have to be thankful for. A lot. (laughs) A lot. First of all, let's be grateful for salvation in Jesus, that our hope is not in this world alone. Let's be thankful that we are alive. God has given us some time. And let's be thankful for our homes that we can meet with our immediate family, at least. And let's be thankful for the gift of food that fills our bellies. So there's a lot to be thankful for. And among them, let's be thankful for the church, which we're right here in this passage called to be thankful, and especially for good churches. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 13 to 16. We're going to keep it relatively, a relatively short passage. That doesn't mean the sermon's going to be short, by the way. Uh, but it will be a short passage this morning in which we read this. Continuing on, this is Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God and opposed all mankind." By hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins. But the wrath, but wrath has come upon them at last. This is 
the word of the Lord. So you can see that the overriding command in the beginning there is to thank God. He is thankful to God. And just as you can just imagine, providentially, I didn't set that up for this sermon that happens to be the week of Thanksgiving. That was a God thing, wonderfully. Uh, But what we have here, verse 13, the first part, 13a, thank God prayerfully and constantly. And then the second part of verse 13, thank God for churches that believe the word of God. We'll talk about that. And then 14 to 16, the longest section, thank God for churches that endure, that endure like Jesus. But look at 13a, thank God prayerfully and constantly. Paul is thankful. He's thankful to God for these Thessalonians. He actually started off his letter thanking them. Remember, he greeted them in the very beginning and then went right into the fact that he constantly gives thanks to God for them, mentioning them in his prayers, remembering them before God, and their work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. Well, here he goes back and says, I am still for you. It's a good relationship between Paul and this church and the work that God has done there. Again, he mentions here that he does so constantly. He, he, he does it always. He does it without ceasing. Not that he's doing it 24-7, but regularly, continually thanking God for the Thessalonians. Just imagine these missionaries, Paul and his team, just getting together in conversation and in reflection and just praying, thank God. Thank you, God, for these Thessalonians. What you did there. There was no church. There were no Christians in Thessalonica. And now there's a thriving, young, suffering, but faithful church where there wasn't one before. And, of course, his thanks has an object. We are thankful to someone. Uh, We're thankful to one another. Nothing wrong with that. We should definitely be thankful towards other people. But the object here is obviously God. We're thankful that God did something that couldn't happen unless God did it. He's not thankful to the Thessalonians for having enough of, you know, uh, freedom to receive the gospel. He's saying, I'm thanking God for his work in bringing the word and opening their hearts that they might see and understand. Uh, let's take a minute and talk about Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, friends, is one of the keys, is maybe the key to happiness. Did you know that? <laughs> Thanksgiving is the key to happiness. People want to be happy, here's how you do it. Uh, so people who, who count their blessings, they look at their life and see all that is good, all that they have, and sort of fight against a spirit of discontentment, always wanting more. Well, people like that, of course, are grateful. They're thankful for what they have. People who are thankful are typically humble. When you recognize that these blessings come from somewhere, not from yourself, but from somewhere, particularly God, then there's no pride in that. As the Bible says, what what do we have that we did not receive? It's all a gift. People who are humble are happy. (laughs) So those who are counting their blessings are thankful. Those who are thankful are humble. Those who are humble are happy. Uh, this is, by the way, Psychology 101, and I mean that literally. I remember taking Psychology 101 in college and learning that people who are content, people who actually spend more time focusing on what they do have, not what they don't have, and are grateful for it, tend to be happier people. It's actually a direct connection between happiness and gratitude. People who are thankful are healthier. Did you know that as well? Medically speaking, gratitude leads to different health benefits like less stress, of course, and actually a better immune system. 
So if you want to have to strengthen your immune system, pay attention to the sermon, right? And be grateful because that will actually make you more, uh, have, have a stronger immune system. And of course, most importantly, this is the Bible. The Bible all over the place tells us to be grateful people. How many people say, I want to be happy? I don't care. It's not about money. It's not about stuff. It's not even about, you know, uh, a relationship or the right job. I just want to be happy. Well, count your blessings. Be grateful. Be humble. And joy begins to arise. This is something I mention at almost every funeral that I do, by the way, that may our grief turn into gratitude. So rather than grieving what has been lost, that eventually, doesn't happen immediately, we're grateful for the years, the 50, 60, 70, 80 years, whatever it may be, that we had this person with us. Friends, let's be thankful. Let's be thankful people. Um, he, he wants the Thessalonians to grow. So he's not saying they don't need a change. They're, they're, they're fine the way they're, they're at right now. Just be just grateful for that. He, he wants to push them. In fact, he's going to do that for the most of this letter. doesn't want them to be stagnant. But he does want to stop for a while and say, I'm thankful for what God has already done. God's already done something pretty great and miraculous and amazing there in Thessalonica. Uh, so let's be thankful. Same, true of, same is true of us. We don't ever want to say, I don't have any room to grow. I don't need to push myself. I don't want to you know, be ambitious to try to change anything. We don't want that. But there is a place for us to regularly stop and say, Lord, thank you for everything you've given me. You brought me to this point in life, and it's good. It's good. How do you be thankful? Certainly, let's pray. So thanksgiving is directly related to prayer, as you can see right here. Because if you're thankful to God, then you are going to tell God that you're thankful. That means prayer. And if you're never praying, you're never actually saying Thank you to God. So praying. Be a prayer. Ask God for things. By the way, you're not burdening God when you ask him for things. We're actually told in the Bible to ask God for stuff. It's disobedient to not ask God. <laughs> so think of it that way. Uh, you do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you ask with wrong motives, James says. So ask, but also makes a point to say thank you as God answers. I think of those ten Lepers that were healed by Jesus, and only one comes back to say thank you. And what's Jesus' response? He says, where are the other nine that were healed? And to the one, go in peace. Let's be the one, the 10%, let's say, of those who stop. And when God hears and he answers prayer, we say, thank you, God. And certainly, as there's the direct context here, let's be thankful for churches. Uh, there are churches, good, many good churches. Churches that would not be on this planet if it were not for God's work of grace, of bringing the gospel changing lives. And there are so many friends that are not in the news. They're not big mega churches. Nothing necessarily wrong with a mega church, but they're not the ones who are going to be everyone knows about, but they're faithfully serving the Lord and teaching his word. Be thankful for that. Um, right here in our city, there are, there are plenty of other great churches. You know, I, I'm, I'm good friends with the pastor of the Assemblies of God Church in town. And um, he may have very different beliefs about certain things. And on Sunday mornings, they may be speaking in tongues and doing prophecy. But we're brothers in Christ, and they're a faithful, Bible-believing church. We're thankful for that. I have a good friend who is an Anglican canon, and yet loves the gospel, loves the Lord, and is faithfully serving his 
Church, and of course our sister church, Just Church, who right now is meeting remotely, but will be meeting in our facility again soon. Great church, Bible-believing church, loves the Lord. We may have some differences, but that doesn't change the fact that we're grateful for what God has done in his church. And certainly, let's be thankful for our church, right? Uh, Is it perfect? No. (laughs) Um, There is no perfect church. We got our problems. If you haven't seen those problems yet, um, you can do one of two things. Talk to me afterwards, <laughs> or just wait, and you'll see them. Because every church has, is, is imperfections. That's not picking on our church. In fact, I think our church is a, a very special church for a lot of different reasons. But friends, be thankful for our church in particular, and thankful for our city, the community in which our country is in. Thankful for our country. As bad as things may seem in our country, things are really good compared to most of the world. Be thankful for your job. Be thankful for all that God has provided. Let's look specifically, though, what he thanks God for in verse 13b, the second part of the verse here. He says here that Paul tells them what he's thankful for, that when they heard the word of God, they did what? They received it. Paul's talking about when these missionaries first went there, first preached in Thessalonica, their response was to receive it. They accepted it. They saw it as true, as really coming from God. Not just another word from men, not just uh, another philosophy or uh, another religion or just some neat teaching that we should consider, but this is from God. This is something God himself has brought to us. And he says that word now is at work in you believers, which sounds strange. How can the word be at work? It's just a word, it's a message, right? But God takes it by his Holy Spirit and he brings that word into our hearts and it begins to change our lives. And I'm not just talking about 2,000 years ago. We see that all the time. Somebody receives the word and the Spirit ministers that and it changes lives. Really, he talks about, as he talks about in Roman, we see the exact same thing happen here. In order for people to accept the gospel, they need to hear it. In order for them to hear it, somebody needs to speak it. That's the missionaries. In order for them to speak it, they need to be sent. And they're sent from the church in Antioch. So the word is going forth in places it's never been before. A few things here. Let's talk about, uh, so when we say the word of God, they accepted it as the word of God. What are we talking about there? Um, so that term, word of the word of God, is used in the Bible in different ways. Um, it's used to describe Jesus himself. He's the word of God. So in one sense, when they accept the word of God, they mean they're accepting the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, in the Old Testament, the word of the Lord comes to someone, a prophet. That's the, the message, the, the self-revelation of God. And of course, in Jesus' life, the word takes on flesh and dwells among us. Oftentimes the word of God is used synonymously with the gospel. So when we say the gospel, the good news, the message of the Christian of faith, that's what we mean, that's the word of God. Oftentimes in scripture, uh, it refers to Jesus coming, his death on the cross, his resurrection. That's the word, the message from God. It is also used to describe the whole Bible. When we talk about this book we're saying we say what this book is the word of god it's from god what is said in here is a revelation from god and also it's used as in this context here too in preaching when the bible is carefully explained and exposited 
and interpreted rightly, we can say, I heard the word of God preached today. And so when Paul and his missionary folks there went there, they preached, they proclaimed the message that was clear and true and right about God, and they say they received the word of God. Uh, I thought it was neat. I heard an interesting comment about uh, expository preaching, which is the type of preaching we do here, where you go through a passage from a great theologian named Kanye West, by the way. Anyone who that is? All right, so anyone here who's under like 50 laughed. Everyone who's over 50 says, who is Kanye West, right? But he's a famous rapper. But this is what he said. And I thought it was very insightful, actually. He said, there are some type of preachers, they get up. So he had a pretty major conversion, and he's a fan of expository preaching, of all things. There's some type of preachers, they get up, they have the Bible in their hands, and they close the Bible, and they just talk for two hours. Some do have anointing, but the expository preachers go line for line. For me, it's like I come for inter- from entertainment. I, go, I got so much sauce. I don't need to sauce the sauce on the word. I need the word to be solid food that I can understand exactly what God was saying to me. Amen? <laughs> so, absolutely. Uh, so, one other thing here about the word of God that God speaks. One of the more common questions I get is, why, how do we know this is the word of God? And what we're saying is that God reveals himself. Uh, God speaks through his creation, for sure. It reveals something about God and his glory. When you see a beautiful sunset, when you see the mountains, you know, you say, wow, look at this. Look what it says about who our creator is. But we say more than that, God also speaks through inspiration. It's not just through his creation. Does God actually use language? Does he actually use words? Does he condescend to our level to speak in ways that we can understand? It's not as if God's language is Hebrew and Greek or English. He's speaking in ways that we can comprehend. And that the scriptures are what was received by the church, as we see right here in the earliest days, as not the word of men, but the word of God, passed along, so it was preserved and recognized to be not just another letter, something special and unique, and then tested by time, over and over and over again. Does God speak by the sky and the stars? Of course he does. Definitely, he shows his glory. Does he use our language? In the Christian faith, we've said consistently, yes, God speaks in ways we can, be, we can comprehend, that we can understand. And friends, let's be thankful then for churches that believe the word of God. Hopefully, if you're a Christian, I'm not assuming necessarily everyone here is. If you're not, that's okay. If you're listening online and you're not a believer, glad you're with us. Really glad that you would be listening and maybe trying to get some of your questions answered. But if you believe the word of God, and there are other people who believe the word of God to be authoritative, then what should you do? Unite together as those who now believe this to be the word of God. That's what the church is uh, in many ways. It's God's, all those who understand God's uh, word to be, the, the scriptures to be God's word. Like one uh, theologian, Highwell Jones said, the church is the fruit of the gospel. Those who believe in the gospel, those who believe in his word come together. That's what it is. And I just encourage you, don't go it alone. Yes, you have the Bible at your home, most likely. But come together with those who also believe in the authority of the word. Especially now. 
seems like during this time, a lot of people are just kind of scattering from churches. Right when you perhaps most need each other. When we most need to be together as Christians, depending on each other and reminding one another of his word. We're going further and further apart for many. Also, just recognize that, again, uh, that this is what our church is based on. Uh, We're based on not the word of men and women, not he said, she said, not the latest fad, uh, not the strongest voice in the room. We're based on the word of God. It's our authority. When you ask the question, who has the, the authority at our church? It's not the pastors and the elders. I mean, they're in a place of leadership, and that's good. But they're not the authority. Is it the congregation? You know, is it majority rules? Uh, whatever has the most amount of votes? Nope. Is it the traditions and the customs of the past? A lot of churches run by them. No. Whose word has the final say? It's God's word. We find ourselves under his authority. What he says is, who we, is what we see as final and authoritative. We want to be a church that is under the word dependent on the word and listening to God regularly. You know, it's a good reminder to us when we think about being thankful for the word in particular, this book, this Bible was here well before us. Well before any of us were born. In fact, our oldest member is in her 90s and this book outlasts her by a few millennia. (laughs) been around a lot lot longer and this word will outlast us by far it has outlasted nations presidents and prime ministers it has outlasted civilizations and kingdoms and it will outlast the united states of america his word stands and will not fall it's already been tested by two thousand years and thousands of years before that in the hebrew scriptures it's not going anywhere (laughs) Let's be grateful that we have it and we find ourselves under it. And friends, just be thankful for its availability. It's so, I mean, this is something that is pretty unique to us here. Anyone, anywhere can literally just download an app and have the entire Bible at their fingertips. Now, there is something about that old, worn-out Bible, right? Um, I think I have a picture of one. But uh, there's something special about that, that book in your hands that you can flip through and the pages are all falling apart and maybe it even has you know, some, some tear stains on it. Um, I used to have one like that that I used for years when I first became a Christian and read it and read it and then God put me to the test because I was just doing some nursing home visit. This was out in Chicago and there was this one lady that said, I need a Bible, I don't have a Bible and I had the Bible in my hand. I said, no, I can't give her this one. <laughs> and then I thought about it. And I said, if I can't give her this one, then I'm not doing what it says in this book, right? So I had to part with my Bible that I love so much and hand it to her and walk away from it. So it was, it was a good thing. But friends, it, 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 we don't need uh, that. I mean, you can get the word anyway, right? Literally in the palm of your hands. Um, you can download the Gideon app that has the Bible, the ESV version, anything, all for free. And the word right now is spreading to the ends of the earth. I was just talking to someone this week about how with the, the web, the World Wide Web now, and eventually going to be available everywhere on this entire planet, with all these little satellites going up from uh, SpaceX and stuff, is there going to be anywhere in the world where we can say, you can't have the Bible? 
Thank God for that. 14 to 16, thank God for churches that endure. Churches that endure like Jesus. Paul is thankful for their endurance. He starts off four. So in other words, this is uh, in support of what he just said. What, what proves that they have accepted and received the word truly and really from God is that fact that they endure. Is that they are willing to undergo suffering and still walk with the Lord. They became imitators of the churches in Judea. So that's sort of the first church you know, Christian church. We see that in Acts chapter 2 with Pentecost and all that. Uh, right there in Jerusalem, that's the beginning. The, the, the original, the OG church, right? The very first one. The, the tw- started with the 12, really the 11, because one uh, was Judas and he gets replaced and so forth. And he says, you suffered the same from your countrymen as they did from theirs. Just like the early Jewish Christians suffered greatly from all of the non-believing Jews in that area, so it's true here of the Thessalonians who are suffering greatly from other Thessalonians. And by the way, I wonder if that's true and growingly more so here for us in the United States. There is, and there should be, and it will likely become more and more so, opposition from your own countrymen. Don't always expect the country to be on your side. And that, that's the majority, and everyone should follow what we believe. It doesn't always work that way, and it wasn't that way in Judea, and it wasn't that way there in Thessalonica. He describes what they did. They killed Jesus and the prophets. So it's, where did this idea of opposition and suffering and the need for endurance come from? It didn't just come from Judea. They got it from Jesus. Jesus did the same thing. He endured suffering and rejection and eventually even martyred him as did the prophets who were before him. He says, even we got driven out of there. Eventually, that's why we came to Thessalonica. If you really want to be like Jesus, Thessalonians, he's saying, we're First Baptist, then be willing to endure suffering, because that's what Jesus did, and that's what his church has done for 2,000 years. He goes on to say that they oppose all man. By that, he means they are trying to end, stop the spread of the gospel. They hinder speaking to the Gentiles so that people might be saved. What a crucial word, right? Saved from what? Meditate on that. Think about that. Saved, spared from the wrath of God. His right, settled judgment on sin. And that's exactly what he says next. But for them, this wrath has come at last. Now that wrath may refer to something historically. God does bring temporary judgments. So for example, the Judean famine, some people think it applies to in AD 44, the riot and the massacre in Jerusalem in 48, the expulsion of the Jews from Rome in 49, or it may refer to not something in the past, but something in the future. And you say, well, didn't he just say that it's come at them at last? That's a tricky phrase. Uh, Ace telos could mean come, will come to them uh, in the end, it could, it could be what's being said there. But ultimately, he's saying, God will deal with them. You be faithful, Thessalonians. But God uses suffering. This is maybe one of the more unpleasant, but true and important parts of the Christian faith. God uses suffering. We might wish he didn't. <laughs> we might wish we lived in a world with no suffering, but we don't. Not in this life. Maybe on the other side of, oh, we're definitely on the other side of heaven. But not here. What does he do with it? He uses suffering to help us mature in our faith. You want a little kid to grow up, become a 
a woman, become a man. You've got to let them experience some hardship. You've got to let them endure through some things. Friends, when we suffer, what do we do? We learn quickly what matters in life, what's important, what lasts, and what doesn't. God uses suffering. He makes us more like Jesus, the suffering servant. He did it to the church in Judea. He used it in the church in Thessalonica. He uses it today around the world as we saw in the video and to some degree here as well. Jesus suffered. We follow him. If we're going to follow a suffering Savior, that means we suffer. God uses suffering to get us to focus on hope. So important. (laughs) We get so comfortable in this world. You know, we really get excited about the things in this world. Like, I really want to get a Tesla someday, right? <laughs> that's a true statement. However, that's not what's important. And when life and death are on the line, you don't even worry about the new Tesla. What do you start thinking about? Heaven, eternity, what's lasting, and what truly, really matters. God uses it to get us focused on hope. God uses suffering to teach us how to endure to persevere, to persist, to see if we're the real deal or not. And I wonder, friends, if 2020 in so many ways is this very test for us here in the United States, for the church, will be the real deal. And will we endure? Will we persevere? Will we persist? Friends, let's be a church together. We don't have to do this alone. This isn't about you individually. This is about us together. Let's be a church that endures. The the Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. There's people who can run the 100-yard dash like lightning. But can they run the 26.2 miles? That's the real question. (laughs) The Christian life is about, yes, running well, but yes, also running for the long term. I was talking to a brother about uh, who was into fitness, and I'm into fitness, and we're talking about the, ba- the muscles and miles balance. So you want to have the right frame and it, that you have a mus- muscularity, but also at the same time you can run far, because usually the two don't go together, right? So if you're skinny, you can run longer and farther. If you're big and bulky, you can't run. You know? So what's that balance between the two? I think that's what we want for the Christian life too. So that we have that. We're running well, but we're also geared for the long term. And the brother that I was talking to is studying, is going for his MDiv in ministry. So we talked about the muscles, miles, and ministry balance, right? That old trio there, three M's. But I was thinking about our 255 years as a church. And, and I was thinking about this fact. Any one generation could have dropped the ball. And 255 years or whatever it would be would have ended. And every generation was faithful to continue on and pass it on. Through wars, through the 1918 Spanish flu, they endured. How do we do that? You and I need to personally endure in the faith. The, the church is not a building, as we, you know that. Um, it's not a, just a, a document, you know, a charter um, or a uh, bylaws. What is a church? A church is people. And if you and I don't endure, this church doesn't endure. <laughs> so how do we do that? You and I have to not lose faith. 
You and I need to be willing, like the Thessalonians here, to persevere, to persist like Jesus. And to reproduce. <laughs> so uh, to reach the next generation isn't just that you need to be faithful, but you've got to reach the next generation as well. Uh, you've got to see God working in the and other people's lives who are coming to faith. That the Holy Spirit brings new people at work, a healthy church, of one that is persevering, is one that is active in evangelism as well. Uh, it's still the plan. Hasn't changed, not in the last 250 years, not in the last 2,000 years. The plan is that one generation continues to reach people for Jesus, and that next generation the same. And if any generation drops the ball, it's over for that group or for that area. Let's continue to reproduce. And let's persevere in gratitude. Being grateful to God no matter what. When all is stripped away, when his blessings come down, the sun is shining down on me, or when they're removed and the world is not as it should be, even when we're alone, let us persevere in being grateful to God, who is the Lord. Be thankful to God. Thankful for the church in Thessalonica. We will meet them in glory. (laughs) We will meet Paul and his team of missionaries who brought them the gospel. We will meet Jason. Who is Jason? He's the guy that got dragged out of his house for housing the early Christian missionaries, remember? I'm thankful for the church in Haverhill. Many good Bible churches. And especially for First Baptist, which is a special church. I'm thankful for a place to remind me to be thankful (laughs) in the midst of those who are hurting, those who have lost, those who have great needs, still to say the Lord is good and he's been gracious to us and let's be thankful. Give thanks constantly. Be a church that believes the word of God and let's be a church that endures. Pray with me. Gracious God, we are grateful. Father, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you, Father, for saving us from the wrath of God, the settled, just judgment of God upon our sins personally. Thank you, Lord, for being our rescuer and redeemer and making us your own. Thank you, Lord, for the church of God around the world, that there are believers right now even, well, they're in different time zones, but meeting together for worship, whether that's in giant cathedrals placed all throughout Europe, or whether that's in underground house churches throughout Asia. Lord, thank you so much for our church and your ongoing faithfulness to us. Thank you for prayer, that you hear us when we pray. Help us to continue to pray. Thank you, Father, for our families. Thank you, Lord, for our friends. And even if this Thanksgiving isn't going to be one of those big feasts that we've been looking forward to, Lord, as things get stripped away that we're used to, help us to be all the more thankful and grateful. Thank you for food and fellowship in our homes. Thank you, Lord, for your ongoing grace and presence with us. Lord, help us like our brother Spurgeon and his friend, to make sure at times that we just fall to our knees, even if it's outside on the green grass, and say, let us thank the Lord, our God. In Jesus' name, amen.